This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit the Contributes tab at bestofaleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Refinery29, The Jimmy Dore Show, The David Pakman Show, Counterspin, The Young Turks, Comedian Jim Jeffries, On the Media, and Activism from Doctors for America. lone gunman killed and injured multiple people. A tragic shooting at the Fort Hood Army base. People were shot in Tucson, Arizona, including several who were meeting at a supermarket with their congresswoman, Gabrielle Giffords. At least 12 people were killed when a gunman opened fire at a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. The majority of those who died today were children, beautiful little kids between the ages of 5 and 10 years old that several people have been shot and some have been killed. We are confronting yet another mass shooting. We're heartbroken that something like this might have happened again. There is something heartbreaking about death happening in a place in which we seek peace, in a place of worship. Another mass shooting in America, this time in a community college in Oregon. My heart goes out to the families of those impacted. This just doesn't happen in other countries. Somehow this has become routine. The reporting is routine. My response ends up being routine. Americans understand we should be changing these laws, including the majority of responsible, law-abiding gun owners. As I said just a few months ago, and I said a few months before that, and I said each time we see one of these mass shootings, our thoughts and prayers are not enough. And it does nothing to prevent this carnage from being inflicted someplace else in America. There's a threat that endangers all American citizens. It's not a threat from the outside. It's homegrown. There's been another mass shooting, and nobody is shocked. You know, the first step to dealing with a problem is admitting you have a problem. The only culture America has is gun culture. And your right to walk around without being shot is superseded by a right-wing nutjob's right to own an assault weapon. During last Friday, the shopping freakout known as Black Friday, there was a record-breaking 190,000 guns purchased. That's a gun purchased every two seconds. Republicans like Ted Cruz have been spooking impotent paranoids with the threat that Obama is coming after their guns. The right wing inspires panic buying of weapons, while the gun manufacturers are panic buying politicians. The culmination of the Republican Party's irresponsible rhetoric led to the attack on a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado. The victims included a military veteran and a police officer, all the people the right wing pretends to care about. But what the right wing really cares about is guns. This is a test of political representation. The majority of Americans want basic gun control laws, but a minority of gun manufacturers don't. Guess who the political parties listen to? Gun perverts insist on their Second Amendment rights as yet another well-regulated militia shoots up another school. 
The gun culture infects every layer of society from the top to the bottom. The solution to everything is violence. Police shoot to kill. Overseas threats require trillions of dollars while domestic problems are ignored. Bombs and drones are the answer to foreign instability. America believes in gun control, just not in America. How many children, innocent civilians, friends, family have to be killed before America admits it has a problem? See you at the next mass shooting. You go insane. Same in an insane world. Insane world. Just when you thought. You thought. You're not able to call, to call, I'm here to tell ya, to tell ya, you're our only hope. Evan DeFilippis was a prior guest on our show. He debated John Lott, who's a big pro-gun advocate, and he recently wrote a very good article about a recent study published in the Journal of Preventive Medicine, which offers new evidence that owning a firearm does not make you safer. The study was led by David Hemingway, who is a Ph.D. of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, who examined the National Crime Victimization Survey, which is an annual survey of about 90,000 households, and it shows, this won't be a surprise to some in our audience, that so-called defensive gun use rarely protects a person from harm, but also that so-called defensive uh, gun use is much more rare than gun advocates claim. Uh, let's look at this in reverse order. First is that claim about how frequent it is that someone has a defensive use of a gun. Smaller private surveys estimated that there are up to 2.5 million defensive gun uses on an annual basis, but the NCVS data indicates that victims use guns defensively in fewer than 1% of attempted or completed crimes, with an annual total under 70,000. So by using the data from the NCVS, Hemingway's analysis has a bunch of advantages over other data that looks at defensive use of guns. The best surveys fail to produce a reliable estimate for defensive gun use because they capture many false positives, which produce final numbers that are not really connected with reality. And the most famous one-off study on this was done by Gary Kleck and Mark Gertz in 1992, and it suggested that guns were used defensively 2.5 million times a year. It's been written about many times that that is completely bogus and arguably mathematically impossible. Uh, so when we actually look at the data, it is very rare that there are actually these defensive gun uses. They may get a lot of traction in conservative media, but they are quite rare. So then we get to question number two. If you have a gun in one of these very rare situations, does it improve the outcome of the situation? Hemingway's study shows that contrary to what many gun advocates say, the National Crime Victimization Survey reveals that having a gun provides essentially no statistically significant benefit to the would-be victim during a confrontation. 
in, in incidents where a victim used a gun in self-defense, the likelihood of suffering an injury was 10.9%. If the victim had taken no action at all, the risk of injury was essentially identical at 11%. And when you look at the loss of property, we hear from the right all the time, you need guns to defend your property. Having a gun also didn't reduce the likelihood of losing property. 38.5% of those who used a gun in self-defense had property taken from them, compared to 34.9% of victims who used another type of weapon, such as a knife or a baseball bat. So this data, Lewis, it conforms to what many experts have suspected for a while. It definitely does not conform to what the pro-gun right believes, but it is very important data. It's important we can just throw out the misinformation. We know all about that. I think maybe just having that gun makes people feel comfortable, like putting a cross around your neck or something like that. It's just it makes you feel comfortable, and maybe nothing will happen to you while you own a gun. And I don't know, people might consider that anecdotal evidence that for some reason it, it works or helps. The last thing I will mention is that the risk of injury when brandishing a firearm is much more likely to lead to the victim being injured in the confrontation than if you just run away, if you hide or call the police. So statistically speaking, you are better off not using a firearm in self-defense, but rather calling the police, running away or hiding. And I know that that doesn't conform with much of what the very manly and macho right wants to think about guns and how to how to handle these types of criminal confrontations you can't you can't do that you gotta pull out the guns and start shooting like uh... you know old west movie dave that's how it's done Some would say Columbia Journalism Review put it mildly, referring to events of December 4th as an unbecoming media frenzy in San Bernardino. They're referring to the sight of dozens of TV crew members from MSNBC and CNN trampling through the home of alleged killers Syed Farouk and Tashfin Malik, rifling through whatever they came across, holding it up for the camera and guessing about its meaning. Sample commentary from MSNBC's Carrie Sanders, quote, Come over here. You can see the baby's toys. We have really quite a number of toys, close quote. Sanders proceeded to show millions of viewers various photographs, we don't know of whom, and for good measure, the driver's license of Farouk's mother, including identifying information like her address. We're told the landlord assured that the police had released the scene, and the networks and their defenders, like Slate Magazine, which called it Great TV, tell us that poking around is what reporters do, though MSNBC apologized for showing identifying information. 
That misses the point that even if no laws were broken, this was not a news event. It shed no light on the December 2nd attack. It was just, in CJR's words, quote, a frantic race to beat opponents and grab attention, close quote. To say you see no difference between that sort of media pile-on and actual good journalism is a sorry admission indeed. Well, disheartening as it was, that spectacle was far from the lowest point of what alternate Stephen Rosenfeld described as the bottomless season of nastiness, racist hate-mongering, and war fever that swept through much of the media and political sphere in the wake of the San Bernardino massacre. Not that it started there. As we see journalists entertain calls to ban all Muslims from the country and local politicians like Nevada's Michelle Fiore saying they'd like to personally shoot Syrian refugees in the head, it's easy to despair and to forget that it isn't actually news media's job to simply amplify such frightening rhetoric. One thing journalists can do besides show editorial outrage in the face of ignorant fear-mongering, as many are, is to ask Kui Bono, who benefits from tragic events like those in San Bernardino, or before that in Colorado Springs. Lee Fang explores one of the answers in a piece for The Intercept. Fang's review of investor transcripts for gun companies, ammunition manufacturers, and sporting stores turned up numerous instances of executives discussing mass shooting incidents as lucrative because they stir calls for gun control, which the National Rifle Association and other advocates predictably attack, and used to stoke panic buying, which leads to profits. It makes sense, of course, but it's still chilling to read the head of Dick Sporting Goods, for example, comment that the murders of 20 children and six adults in Newtown, Connecticut, very much accelerated gun business. Not by spurring sales among hunters, but by bringing, quote, shooters into the industry, close quote. Another retailer notes that because his company, quote, didn't blink as others did to stop selling AR-15 platform guns, close quote, after the Newtown killings there, quote, business went vertical. I mean, it just went crazy, close quote. Gun control is a legislative, political, and public health issue. Getting at what powerful actors are doing and why is harder than picking through baby toys on TV. It's also more worthwhile. Mass shootings in this country are, well, as you know, completely and utterly out of control. Uh, we just had one in uh, Planned Parenthood uh, last Friday, and we just had another one uh, yesterday at, in San Bernardino. In that case, 14 people killed and uh, 21 injured. Now, whether it was a, a Muslim fundamentalist who did it in San Bernardino, as it looks like it was, and a Christian fundamentalist who did it in the Planned Parenthood shooting, as it looks like it was, or it's just a random crazy guy in Virginia Tech or Aurora, Colorado, or Sandy Hook, you name it. Uh, they all have access to 
weaponry, and the shootings keep on going. Did you know that uh, yesterday, as the San Bernardino shooting was happening, there was another mass shooting in Savannah, Georgia? So there's two different uh, definitions that people use for mass shooting. The FBI used the definition of four people killed in a, in a shooting, then they call that a mass shooting. Uh, the other accepted definition is four people shot. So in the Savannah, Georgia one, it was four people that were shot, three injured, and one killed, right? That was such little news, even though our local news didn't cover it that much. Only one of the local uh, TV stations covered it. Oh, mass shooting, four people shot? That's so normal uh, in Savannah, Georgia, that the local stations in Savannah don't even cover it. That's how grotesque uh, this uh, situation has become in America, right? So, by the way, since the Planned Parenthood shooting, there's been three mass shootings. In fact, let's use the FBI definition. Uh, no, I'm sorry, let's use the... The second definition first, which is four people shot, not four people killed. Four people shot by, if you count that way, in the 336 days of 2015 so far, uh, there have been 355 shootings, mass shootings. So there are more mass shootings than the number of days in 2015, more than one a day in the country. Again, four people shot in one shooting at least is considered a mass shooting for that index. More than one a day. It's, it's crazy. The rest of the world doesn't live this way. Do you know that in Germany, uh, the white people in this country, so put it aside race, right? You know, the blacks and Latinos are shot uh, disproportionately by cops in this country than, than white Americans. But eliminate blacks and Latinos. Just look at white Americans. They're shot by are just our cops at 26 times the rate of Germans. So, now, why are the cops in that case doing the shooting? Because the cops are also worried that everybody's got guns. So there's a number of reasons why the cops do the shooting, but one of them is, they're like, I don't know, man, there's 250 million guns. I assume every person has a gun. So that's part of the reason that they shoot unarmed people, armed people, etc. We Even for white people in this country, they're getting shot by cops at 26 times the rate of in Germany, let alone the criminals who are doing the mass shootings. Okay. Now, uh, if you take the FBI definition, is the number dramatically lower? That's four people shot and killed, qualifying as a mass shooting. So in 2015, how many people shot and killed in mass shootings so far? 462 people have been killed and 1,314 wounded. Now, some of those were uh, terrorist acts like the one in San Bernardino, right? But most of them were not. Uh, so w what is the real danger in America? Some of it is terrorism, right? But overall, the biggest danger is mass shootings. One mass shooting after another, after another, literally. And now there's the issue of the non-mass shootings, which are even greater. So let's go to Ted Alcorn there. He's a research director at Every Town for Gun Safety. So they're in favor of some gun control. He says, you have 14 people dead in California, referring to the San Bernardino shooting, and that's a horrible tragedy. But likely, according to the statistics, 88 other people died today from gun violence in the United States. He said that yesterday. 88 other people on top of the 14 killed. Shootings on top of shootings on top of shootings. There is no end to it here in the United States. The answer is gun control. So, look, uh, I know that uh, some Second Amendment uh, advocates can't read, and so they only read half of the Second Amendment, but if you read the full Second Amendment, it says uh, a very important clause about a well-regulated militia. 
We don't have well-regulated militias. That has nothing to do with what's going on in this country. Instead, we have unregulated mass shooters. So for all of our health, safety, and lives, for our families' lives. So this isn't a random terrorist bombing in New York or Paris or even in the shooting in San Bernardino. This, the mass shooters are everywhere. They're in Colorado. They're in Florida. They're in Connecticut. They're in California. They're everywhere. When are we going to do something about this? And again, I ask you the question, how many would it take? If one mass shooting a day doesn't do it, what will do it? Would two mass shootings a day on average get us to change our mind about gun control? Would right now over 100 people a die uh, from shootings every day in America? Would If the number is 200 or 500, would it make a difference? Or is there no amount of killings that will get us to say, hey, you know what? Maybe the politicians uh, doing the NRA's bidding because they're taking their money is not a good way to run our democracy. Maybe we should find a way to have those politicians represent us, be our representatives, instead of the representatives of their donors. Because 93% of Americans want federal background checks. It is the simplest, the most tame legislation you could have. And even that is defeated in the House and the Senate because it's a wholly owned subsidiary of the NRA. How many of our neighbors, our family, and friends have to get killed before we say enough is enough? Okay, we we can't have this anymore from the NRA. Uh, I, I don't know what it's going to take to convince politicians. And the reality is uh, nothing. The only thing that will convince politicians is cold, hard cash. They don't care about cold, dead bodies. Okay, They just care about the cash. So that's why I keep telling you about Wolfpack. Because the only way to solve the problem is to make sure that the money isn't flowing into politics. Otherwise, all you're going to have is a system full of people who are bribed for a living. And people who are bribed don't care about the citizens. They care about the people who gave them the bribe. And in this case, it's gun manufacturers. Wake up, America. Wolf-pack.com. you got to join us. we got to fix this. So wake me up when it's all over. When I'm wiser and I'm older. All this time I was finding myself in I'm going to talk about something now that sort of splits a crowd uh, a little bit. Uh, gun control. Now, mate, wait, before you get, don't, don't get excited because the other people have guns. The anti-gun people are like, yeah, do it, Jim. No, let's just shh. Now, before I start saying this, I want to say this, right? I believe in your right as Americans to have guns. I'm not trying to stop you from having guns. All I'm saying is this is my personal belief on the opinion. My opinion on the... Ah, it doesn't matter. I don't like guns. Right? I'm going to say some things that are just facts. Right? In Australia, we, we had guns. Right? Right up until 1996. And in 1996, Australia had the biggest massacre on earth. Still hasn't been beaten. And... <laughs> now, after that, they banned the guns. Now, in the ten years before Port Arthur... There was 10 massacres. Since the gun ban in 1996, there hasn't been a single massacre since. I don't know how or why this happened. Uh, maybe it was a coincidence, right? 
Now, please understand that I understand that Australia and America are two vastly different cultures with different people, right? I get it. In Australia, we had the biggest massacre on earth, and the Australian government went, that's it, no more guns. And we all went, and we all went, yeah, right then, that seems fair enough. Really. <laughs> now, in America, you have the Sandy Hook massacre where little tiny children died, and your government went, maybe, We'll get rid of the big guns? <laughs> and 50% of you went, Fuck you! Don't take my guns! <laughs> so here's, here's where it gets confusing, right? Now, as I said, I'm all for your Second Amendment rights. I think you should be able to have guns. It's in your constitution. What I'm not for is bullshit arguments and lies. There is one argument and one argument alone for having a gun. And this is the argument. Fuck off. I like guns. It's not the best argument, but it's all you've got. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with saying, I, I like something, don't take it away from me. But don't give me this other bullshit. The main one is, I need it for protection. I need to protect me. I need to protect my family. Really? Is that why they're called assault rifles? Is it? Never heard of these fucking protection rifles you speak of? <laughs> protection? What the fuck are you talking about? You, you have a gun in your house, you're 80% more likely to use that gun on yourself than to shoot someone else. And people think, well, that'll never happen to me. You don't know that, because you know what? From time to time, we all get sad. <laughs> One day you're happy, then you're sad, and then, oh, oh, it was... <laughs> Protection. I had a break-in in Manchester, England, where I was tied up, I had my head cut, they threatened to rape my girlfriend, they came through the window with a machete and a hammer, and Americans always go, well, imagine if you had a gun. And I'm like, all right. I was naked at the time. <laughs> I wasn't wearing my holster. I wasn't staring at the window waiting for cunts with machetes to come through. Like, what world do you live in where you're constantly fucking ready? You have guns because you like guns. That's why you go to gun conventions. That's why you read gun magazines. None of you give a shit about the home security. None of you go to home security conventions. None of you read Padlock Monthly. None of you have a Facebook picture of you behind a secure door going, fucking yeah. It's like you're going to be ready if someone comes into your house. You have it at all fucking time. By the way, most people who are breaking into your house just want your fucking TV. You think that people are coming to murder your family? How many fucking enemies do you have? Geez, you think a lot of yourself if you think everyone's coming to murder you. See, if you have it readily available, it becomes unsafe. You have it in your bedside table, one of your kids picks it up, thinks it's a toy, shoots another one of your kids. Happens every fucking day. We'll go, that'll never happen in my house because I'm a responsible gun owner. I keep my guns locked in a safe. Then there's no fucking protection! <laughs> Someone comes into the house and you're like, wait there, fuckface. <laughs> oh, you've come to the wrong house here, buddy boy. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna fuck you up. Okay.
Is it 32 to the left or 32 to the right? Your mother's birthday? Why the fuck would I know your fucking mother's birthday? Maybe if you didn't leave the window open because it's too hot in here, we wouldn't be getting fucking murdered, right? I find the NRA to be hard work. But the fact that they always think the answer is more guns. After Sandy Hook happened, the NRA said, and I quote, none of this would have happened if the teachers had guns. <laughs> I, I think they're forgetting what school was like. <laughs> Does anyone remember that casual teacher that used to, whenever she came on to school, that relief teacher came, you and your friends would see her and go, oh, we're gonna make her cry. <laughs> And then she'd stand in front of the class with a bit of chalk and her hands would be shaking. And you'd go, you're never getting married, are you, miss? Never going to happen for you. Then she'd get back to her 1967 Volkswagen Beetle. She'd be crying over the steering wheel. Just, why don't they like me? Let's give that cut a gun and see how things work out. And then they go... Oh, well, answer to that, we'll just add more guns. They go, we'll put an armed security guard at every school across America. Yeah, that'll work out. The average security guard in America earns $16 an hour. Not a lot of wiggle room to be a fucking hero. <laughs> Someone comes onto the school and... <laughs> and you've got Kevin. Now, I'm sure Kevin's shit hot at Call of Duty, but it might not fucking cut it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, I understand that when I'm doing this joke in this room, 50% of you agree with me, 50% of you don't agree with me. And I do respect the people who don't agree with me. Don't think I don't. Out uh, of the 50% that don't agree with me, 20% of those people are smart enough to realise this is a comedy show and it's not to be taken seriously and they're laughing along because it's just funny jokes, right? And then the next 20% are sort of phased out a little bit and looking around going, I wonder how they got that chandelier up there. <laughs> and then there's the last 10% and they're fucking furious. <laughs> right now in this room... And the people watching at home, 10% of you are fucking seething. Just... <laughs> and for a couple of reasons. First reason, I'm making good points. <laughs> second reason. Second reason. Second reason, and this is the big one. I'm foreign. And that's pissing the fuck out of you right now. And your brain is on a loop and you can't fucking turn it off. And it's just going around in a circle and you're just going, if you don't like it, go home. If you don't like it, go home. And my answer to that is no. Came here legally, I pay my taxes, I'll say whatever the fuck I want. The your First Amendment means that I can say the Second Amendment sucks dicks. And... Unless you're an American Indian, you're a fucking immigrant as well, so fuck off. People get so precious about it. Like, I understand that to Americans your constitution is very important. 
Uh, I respect it, but please understand that every country has one as well. It's no more special than any other of the Constitution. We have one in Australia. I don't know what it says. <laughs> I've never seen it. If there's a problem, we'll check it, but everything's going fine. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I get that the Constitution's important to you. I have had fucking... I get it, right? I've had people come up to me in my face and scream at me in car parks as I'm going, leaving the theatre going, you cannot change the Second Amendment. And I'm like, yes, you can. It's called an amendment. Like, if you can't change something, it's called an amendment. See, many of you need a thesaurus more than you need a constitution. If you don't know what the source is, get a dictionary, work your way forward. <laughs> don't think your constitution's set in stone. You've changed things before. You used to have prohibition in there, right? And then people were like, hey, who likes getting fucked up? <laughs> yeah, I like getting fucked up too. Let's get that one out. Let's get that one out. You used to have this other thing in America called uh, slavery. <laughs> And then Lincoln came along and went, that's it, no more slaves. And 50% of you went, fuck you, don't take my slaves. <laughs> and then the same bullshit arguments came out that you have with guns. Why should I have my slaves taken off me? I'm a responsible slave owner. I am trained in how to use my slaves safely. Just because that guy mistreated his slaves doesn't mean that my rights should be taken away from me. I use my slaves to protect my family. I keep my slaves locked in a safe. That's the thing. Why should I have my guns taken off me? I've done nothing wrong. That's, look, I agree with you. If you're a responsible gun owner and you don't fuck around with them, then you should be allowed your guns. You really should. But that's not how society works. We have to play to the 1% that are such fuckwits they ruin it for the rest of us. We have to walk as slow as our slowest person to keep society fucking moving, right? I take drugs like a fucking champion, right? We should all be allowed to take fucking drugs, but we can't, can we? Because Sarah took drugs and she stabbed her fucking kids. Ah, oh, oh, thanks Sarah, you fucked it up for everyone, right? Everyone should be allowed to drive their car as fast as they can do it, right? But we can't because Jonathan got drunk and ran over a family. Thanks, Jonathan! Now I have to drive at 30, you fucking idiot! See, that's the thing. Why should I have my guns taken off me? I'm responsible just because that guy's crazy. Who's to say you're not crazy? That's the thing about crazy people. They don't know they're crazy. That's what makes them crazy. The only thing you know for sure on this earth is I think, therefore I am. You know that you exist. Anything past that is open to interpretation, right? You know you exist and that's it. Right now, I think I'm in Boston talking to 1,200 people. That's what I think I'm doing. But there is a good to fair chance that I'm in a mental home standing in front of a white wall going, I hate guns, I hate guns, I hate guns.
See, I, I, one of the good, the better arguments is, well, if you take the guns away, then only the criminals will have guns. Not true. The, 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 when they banned the guns in Australia, it worked. When they banned them in Britain, it worked. Okay. That Bushmaster gun that the kid was going to use in Sandy Hook cost like $1,000 America, and you can buy it in Walmart. It'll be delivered to your house. That's it, man. 1000 bucks, right? That same gun in Australia on the black market costs $34,000. Now, if you have $34,000, you don't need to be a criminal. You've got $34,000. You're a great little saver. Keep going. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I would like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and get everything you can get used from a place like Craigslist. You will save yourself a boatload of money and reduce the endless flow of new stuff getting shipped across the world because that seems more convenient than meeting a neighbor. Failing that, try a locally owned small business. Failing that, if you're left with no choice other than to buy something from a place like Amazon, then at least there's a way you can do it and support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofleft.com and shop as you normally would. Better yet, click through on the link to your country's Amazon store only once and then bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumption altogether, consuming sustainably, or at least consuming in a subversive way. Congress had long decided that firearms don't kill people, people do. But information can definitely violate our Second Amendment rights. Hours before the shooting in San Bernardino, a group of doctors petitioned Congress to lift the nearly two decades old ban that effectively prevents the CDC from researching gun violence. And the former congressman who authored the research ban, Jay Dickey, continued his campaign of apology. Todd Zwillick is Washington correspondent for The Takeaway. Todd, welcome to the show. Hi, Brooke. So let's go back to the early 90s when this started, 1993. The New England Journal of Medicine published a CDC-funded study that found, quote, keeping a gun in the home was strongly and independently associated with an increased risk of homicide. Right. And this is the study, you know, when you hear gun control debates amongst your friends or your relatives permeated the culture. It's it's more dangerous to have a gun in the home than it is to not have one. You hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. This is the study that showed that. That was 1993. And by 1995 and into 1996, the National Rifle Association started to lean on members of Congress to say, hey, this study that came out that was funded by the Centers for Disease Control, this is tax payer money, they're advocating for gun control. We don't want you paying for this. So that brings us to Representative Jay Dickey of Arkansas, who attached an amendment to a 1996 omnibus appropriations bill. He sure did, and it's short. It's only about 20 words long, and it says, none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention may be used to advocate or promote 
gun control. That's all it said. It didn't say you can't do the research. It didn't say you can't do whatever epidemiologic study you want to. And you say, well, that's not a ban. That doesn't mm-hmm. tell people what to study. But here's the problem, and this was really crafty back in the 90s. Before they introduced this amendment, Brooke, they slashed the funding for the CDC by $2.4 million, the exact amount that had been used for this research in the Injury Prevention and Control Fund. And what message did that send? It said, You can do whatever research you want, but if you report your research and that research tacitly or directly advocates for gun control, you're going to be breaking the rules. Certainly the American Psychological Association and others have laid the blame for this amendment directly at the feet of the NRA. I don't know that the NRA would deny it. The issue seems to be that the NRA equated gun violence research with anti-gun political advocacy. And Jay Dickey himself has talked about that, that back at this time you have to remember how contentious the gun debate was. It's contentious now, but it was really in play. I mean, back in the 90s, they had the assault weapons ban of 1994. That had just happened. So this was a very hot and active political issue. The NRA thought that the advocacy that was coming from public health researchers, if they went into the medical journals or on the airwaves and said, my research shows that you should get rid of your gun, or my research shows that we would be safer if there were fewer guns available or if it were harder to buy a gun. Yeah, they saw that as gun control, and maybe it was advocating for gun control. Nevertheless, this was the action that they leaned on members of Congress to take, and they took it. So what kind of information don't we have, do you think, because of this ban? Well, I think we don't know a lot about how guns hurt people in the real world. What's the interaction between having a gun in the home and substance abuse? How more likely are you to injure someone else or injure yourself with a firearm if there's alcohol in the house? How is it connected to people's income? Are people with lower incomes at at higher risk? Do they have other things to watch out for? I think there are great number of things that researchers would tell you that they would like to know about how those guns, either in the home or just floating around out in the world, interact with how we act every day. That's what epidemiology is all about. And I think we lack a great deal of that information about what is it that leads to the situations where a gun can hurt a person. It's hard to imagine any other area of human harm where 33,000 people die and 85,000 are injured, by the way, where the primary government research public health agency isn't permitted to study it. It's, it's almost an egregious omission from the perspective of science and public health. And the same research ban was extended to the National Institutes of Health with almost the same language a few years ago. But, Todd, after the shooting at that historic church in Charleston, South Carolina in July, an amendment was proposed that would have reversed the CDC research ban, but you reported that didn't go anywhere. No, it didn't. This was a Democratic amendment in the House Appropriations Committee, and Republicans voted down an effort to reverse the Dickey Amendment. And I turned around and asked John Boehner, who was then the Speaker of the House, about it. And he offered you this now famous reply. Listen, the CDC is there uh, to look at uh, diseases that need to be dealt with to protect uh, the public health. Uh, I'm sorry, but a gun is not a disease. And guns don't kill people. People do. And when people use weapons in a horrible way, we should condemn the actions of the individual. 
and not blame the action on some weapon. Well, an automobile is not a disease, and it kills the same number of people as guns every year. A bacteria is not a disease, for that matter. So I think from the epidemiologist perspective, that statement from the political sphere on Capitol Hill was really, really hard to take. So let's talk about the man whose name is on that ban, Jay Dickey. He went through something of a conversion. Yeah, Jay Dickey has come out. He's been talking to reporters to issue his apology. He basically said, look, this was a hot debate in the 90s. I thought that a government agency was advocating for gun control, and I did think that that was inappropriate, but I wish we hadn't gone as far. I wish they were doing the research. I wish we knew more. Is it because he's no longer in office that he can take this position? Almost certainly. I mean, I don't want to try to imagine or speculate what Jay Dickey would say if he were still an elected official. Who knows? But it's certainly easier for him now that he's no longer a member of Congress. Look, Brooke, this is about whether or not a public health agency can study a public health matter. And I think most people know that. But I had a conversation with a senior Republican aide here on Capitol Hill a few weeks ago and asked, are you going to undo this thing? You just have to strike 20 words and it's gone. And this Republican aide said, Look, to you and me in this building, it's the Dickey Amendment. Outside of this building and outside the Beltway, that's called gun control, and that's how it'll be perceived. So the answer is no. Forever? Well, Brooke, who knows forever? You know, frankly, this is one of the smaller issues to the gun control lobby itself. I have asked them if they want to go after this ban at the CDC, and they say they do, but they consider this low-hanging fruit. They want the assault weapons ban. They want stricter background checks, and they're afraid that if they go for reversing the ban on a couple million dollars of research at the CDC, it'll be a small moral victory, but it'll be the only crumb they get. I just can't help questioning the logic of gun control advocates who worry about this being the solitary crumb. It seems to me that research is something you can build an argument on. Well, I think many of them see that. I think in the world of politics, however, there's always a danger, and it's not just in the gun area. This happened in immigration, too, and I won't digress too much, but there were lots of little things that could have gotten done on immigration when the sides parted. Brooke, they didn't get done because nobody wanted the crumb. We want big immigration reform, and we're not going to chip away at all this political capital that they had. For me, this isn't really about gun control at all. I mean, I used to be a healthcare reporter and a science reporter. And from that perspective, it's really for open and unrestricted research into the things that do hurt, harm, and injure Americans, whether it's a bacteria, a virus, domestic violence, an automobile, a knife, or a firearm. And carving off one of those things because it's politically charged is something I think that many of people who value science and research and what it can do for us find it inexcusable. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, ending the federal ban on studying gun-related violence. 
with 89 people dying every day because of gun-related violence. Experts now estimate that guns may soon pass vehicle accidents to become the country's leading cause of death. The president has repeatedly urged Congress not to let this become the new normal. The biggest impediment to finding viable solutions is the NRA-sponsored Dickey Amendment, named for its author, former Representative Jay Dickey of Arkansas. For almost two decades, the Center for Disease Control has been prohibited from researching the effects of firearm ownership on public health. Despite Dickey himself now publicly and repeatedly declaring, quote, I wish we had started the proper research and kept it going all this time, unquote, it's hardly a surprise to continue hearing sentiments that echo former House Speaker John Boehner's gun is not a disease defense of the government research ban. With the recent high-profile mass shootings dominating news coverage right before Monday's Sandy Hook anniversary, a new effort to end the ban and find a way to end gun violence is being led by Doctors for America and Every Town for Gun Safety. The segment notes include the Doctors for America letter in support of reinstating research funding for you to pass on through your networks to ensure that as many medical professionals as possible can sign on, then sign and share the public letter to the House and Senate telling them to end the ban on gun violence research through everytownschange.org petition. It's also available at doctorsforamerica.org slash act and everytown.org. The update to the petition includes links to automatically tweet your support using the end gun violence and end the ban hashtags as well as to connect directly to your senators and tell them to take action. The segment notes include all the links to this information as well as additional resources and as always this and Every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the activism tab at bestofleft.com. If ending the public health hazard that is gun violence matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about ending the research ban via social media so that others in your network can show their support too. Can you stand up and be counted? There's a body in a crowd. Put your name on a petition with your signature so proud. Can you raise your voice so loud as you stand with head on bowed, weather beating on your brow, demanding answers here and now? Cause that's how you make a difference in this fickle world of change. Gun rights proponents often say that the reason there are so many gun-related deaths in America has nothing to do with the guns, it has to do with the crime. It is a, it is a violent, crime-ridden country, and so people need to defend themselves with guns. Don't talk about the guns, don't take away the guns, that's what they say. Unfortunately for them, the scientific method exists, and so we're going to take a look at the data here. Now, first of all, here is an interesting chart put together uh, by Vox that shows the number of homicides by firearm per one million people. Uh, so yes, very high, obviously, to demonstrate the severity of the problem. The next closest is something like four times lower, let alone a country like Australia that's been in the news recently for their extremely successful uh, gun confiscation program. They're at 1.4, so far fewer people dying. So number two on that list is Switzerland at 7.7. We're number one by a landslide at 29.7, but so Switzerland also has a decent number of guns. And and that's part of the reason why they're also high on the list. Mm -hmm. Switzerland, Finland, with a surprisingly uh, high uh, gun ownership. Yes. Yeah. Well, cer yes, certain countries in the region have uh, mandatory military service, and people who are uh, who have to be in the military are expected in these countries to also have a weapon. Mm -hmm. And so you will have higher rates of uh, gun ownership. It doesn't it doesn't indicate necessarily the same thing as the United States, where it is a an almost one hundred percent 
I want to have the guns thing. I'm not legally mandated to have the guns. I have more guns um, uh, than I need, but not as many as I want. Exactly. That's, That's America, right? Yeah, here. exactly. Uh, now, let's talk about the crime. So there, there we show you, the, obviously, a lot of people dying from guns. What about the crime? Well, rates of property of common property crimes in the U.S. are comparable to those reported in many other Western industrial nations, but rates of lethal violence in the U.S. are much higher. Violence is not a crime problem. This is coming from Franklin Zimring and Gordon Hawkins, who put together uh, a number of years ago an analysis of the connection between crime and guns. What does that mean, violence is not a crime problem? I don't understand that. Well, we're going we're gonna to show you. Oh, thanks. That it's not directly related. It's not a necessary consequence of the level of crime that we have. Uh, now, the lowest death rate country, England, has a crime rate just over average, actually. The next lowest violence nation is Japan, which has the lowest crime rate. The third lowest death rate country is the Netherlands in the highest crime rate group. So this is showing that you don't have this correlation between more crime necessarily resulting in more deaths from guns. A country like the Netherlands has very few deaths, very high crime. So you see all these outliers. Now, what does this actually mean? How does this uh, play out in America? Well, only a they, they look specifically at L.A., which is important to us, obviously. We live here. Only a minority of L.A. homicides grow out of criminal encounters like robbery and rape. A far greater proportion of L.A. homicides grow out of arguments and other social encounters between acquaintances other than robbery or rape. And they say basically to summarize what that means, the mere presence of firearms makes a merely tense situation more likely to turn deadly. When a gang member argues with another gang member or a robber sticks up a liquor store, there's always a risk that the situation can escalate to some kind of violence. But when people have a handheld tool that is specially engineered for violently killing, escalation of murder becomes much, much more likely. And uh, they do a nice comparison here between New York and London, saying a preference for crimes of personal force and the willingness and ability to use guns and robberies makes similar levels of property crime 54 times as deadly in New York City as in London. Look, what, have what, have what, any of these people ever seen a Guy Ritchie movie? Like those arguing against it or Peaky Blinders? Like all they do is commit crimes in England. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Well, they actually do. They have a higher crime rate in London than they do in New York. They just don't kill anybody. But they don't kill anybody. So that's because the really they don't have part. guns on them. So, and, and they've studied this throughout many different nations. And in, in a lot of Western European nations, the stereotype here in the U.S. is, well, they're all homogeneous, so they don't have a lot of crime there. So it's, it's partly true, partly coded language. Like, they're all white over there, so they don't commit a lot that's of crime. Thing, yes. you know, that's what they're getting at, right? Not all of them. There are some legitimate points about how different cultures interact and if you yada, yada. But overall, it turns out, no, that stereotype is wrong. There's actually just as much crime in Western Europe, and in some places, more crime than there is in the U.S. But their crime, even though it is of the violent nature, assault, robbery, does not lead Rape. to deaths. Rape as well, that's right. In America, we have similar levels of crime, but a lot more deaths. We have a lot more deaths, not even necessarily because of the robbery or the rape, although our robberies lead to more deaths than their robberies do because we usually commit it with guns, right? But we have just, me and John got in a fight, and we both had a gun, and we kill each other, yeah. right? So that didn't have anything to do with crime. It didn't, it, it, it wound up being crime because it's a homicide, right? So, but our level of crime is very similar to Western Europe. Like we said, London, some other places have higher crime. They just don't do it with guns so people don't get killed. We get it right here. <laughs> we do the crime, yeah, yeah. you know, we, yeah. we, finish, we finish the job. Yeah, we want to make sure that if you have some sort of liquor-fueled emotional outburst, there's a pistol within arm's reach of you. That's right, yeah. Uh, and especially if you are on a college campus. They're making that more and more likely. And uh, so the, the thing that I, that I love out of this is, of course, you look at this and then you think, well, they always say here, 
you can't make guns harder to get or illegal because that only hurts the law-abiding people. The criminals are always going to get guns and they're going to run roughshod off the now disarmed public. So then why the fuck doesn't that happen in all of these countries? In London, if there's nobody, the police don't have guns, the homeowners don't have guns, why don't the criminals get the fucking guns that you say they're inevitably going to get? This is showing that they don't actually do that. Guns don't magically appear if you make them difficult to get. So yesterday in some insane tweet by a conservative uh, when uh, Mark Hamill was talking about this issue, said, for God's sake, let's do some gun control. All the conservatives attack him. They're like, oh, how could you have defeated the empire without your lightsaber? Got you. So it's not a matter of crimes, right? It's, it's, it's facts. It's facts, right? It's proven out in every study. There was a study in 99. There's a study in 2011. Yeah. Okay, and it goes on and on and on. And uh, it's just that when you have guns at your disposal, of course more people are going to die. Anybody trying to make a, a different argument is trying to find some crazy way to deny reality. Like, you know it. If there's a gun and you're having an argument, are you more likely, is someone more likely to get killed? Of course they are. You know that. Mm -hmm. and, and in these studies, you know what? It, it turns out, Australia, for example, when they took the guns away, right? that's what Mark Hamill was talking about, it became harder to kill people. Their suicide rate went down. Their death rate, uh, 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 homicide by firearm rate went down. If our rates went down at the same level as Australia's rates went down after they did reasonable gun control, we would have saved, uh, in 2013, over 16,000 thousand lives so in september 11th we lost about three thousand people more than five times that amount we lose every single year not based on the number of people who commit suicide and and the the firearm homicides okay just the difference between what our rate is and what australia's rate is after they did the gun control just on that if we pass that reasonable law over 16,000 people would be alive today. And that's every year, 16,000 year after year after year after year, because there's guns everywhere. When someone's thinking of committing suicide in Australia, do, are they, do they have a people problem? They do. People consider doing suicide, they slit their wrists. That doesn't work as well. They take pills, that doesn't work as well. So they don't die. Here in America, they're like, oh, here's a gun. Boom, that works, you're dead. Okay. On, on firearm suicides alone, we'd save over 12,000 lives. Think about that. I'm not even talking about homicides. We're not talking about the two-year-old that shot the nine-month-old because there was a gun lying around. Just on suicides. And I thought the Christian right hated suicides, yeah. right? And, and by the way, pro-life and all that. Veterans. Yeah, and it affects veterans more than more than other classes of Americans. Yeah, and cops Reti and, and, and retired cops. That's and right. Cops. So yeah. you put all that into the equation. We're literally killing ourselves. Yeah. If you put guns everywhere, of course more people are going to die, and every study bears that out. You can make a different argument. You can say, hey, I'm comfortable with 16,000 more dead people every single year because i got to have my rights in case the government comes for me. Okay, that's a different argument. But you can't argue that less people die because we have more guns because that isn't true. We just heard clips featuring Refinery29 on Obama's repetitive mass shooting speeches, Jimmy Dore on the fact that no one's shocked anymore, David Pakman on the study showing that there is statistically no advantage to using a firearm in self-defense, 
counterspin on the role the media should be playing, the Young Turks on our desperate need for gun control, Jim Jeffries' famous stand-up bit about America's obsession with guns, on the media detailing the history of the Dickey Amendment, our activism for today is from Doctors for America on reinstating the Dickey Amendment, and then finally the Young Turks finished off with the study showing what should be obvious, that fewer guns equals fewer deaths. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now we'll hear from you. Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. I'm calling about the comments at the end of the December 1st episode by uh, Cenk Uger and the Young Turks uh, regarding, you know, the fascism of the right. And I'd, I'd like to agree with them in part that there is a lot of talk of labeling people by religion and, and, and national origin and things like that, and it's very scary and it's very fascist-sounding. One of the things he says, though, is because the NRA is just a boogeyman and you can say whatever the hell you want about them, is that the NRA just loves guns and loves gun sales is why they protest the terror watch list. It's my recollection that when we first found out about this terror watch list, there was outrage on the left because there's a list that can be that you can be put on that there's no due process involved in. You have no due process to get on the list. You have no due process to get off the list. And they're talking about, you know, invading your privacy and your civil rights based on this list. So the fact that I don't want people to lose their gun rights, their right to own firearms, because some cop somewhere put them on a list, for which, again, there's no recourse. He might have heard your podcast and just decided Jay Tomlinson and interposed your name with the name of the actual person that he was going to put on that list, and now you're on it, and it's done. There's nothing you can do about it. Even if that list was only to say you can't eat Whoppers and orange creamsicles, it doesn't matter. The government does not have the authority to just make an arbitrary list and deprive you of your rights to you know pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So life, liberty, or property, they just, that requires due process, and just putting you on a list is not due process. The other piece of that is the, the talk about German gun control, and that's absolutely true. The, the problem with discretionary licensing and things like that in the hands of government officials is that sometimes you get to be the untermensch, and you don't get those rights. And that's, that's the problem. The problem wasn't that the Germans enacted, uh, you know, enacted more gun control. The problem is the only people they lessened it on were people who were going to help them herd people into the gas chambers, were people who they found to be ubermensch. So the, you know, the, the, the argument that this thing is purely about gun sales is ridiculous. It's about rights, and it's about you can't just take away someone's rights because you find them undesirable. Thanks, Jane. I enjoy the conversation. Hey, Jay, this is Will in Mississippi. Um, I just listened, was listening to your Fight for 15 episode, and uh, the last clip that was played, they kept referring to unskilled labor. This is one of my pet peeves. Um, in my experience, there's no such thing as unskilled labor. People who call, for example, fast food work unskilled, I really want them to work for a month in a McDonald's or a Subway, so forth, and then tell me how unskilled that labor is. We need to be careful in the way that we communicate as liberals and progressives, or we just reinforce these conservative preconceptions about how we feel about regular working people. I guess that's it, Jay. Thanks. I love the show. 
Hi, this is Emma Catterin from New York City. Thanks for reading the email I sent you the other day. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, on the episode about the terrorist attacks on Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers. Uh, there was a Young Turks segment, and they were talking about uh, people who sort of incite these attacks from Fox News to more uh, fringe uh, radical groups um, in the anti-abortion movement. And I thought it was interesting. One of, uh, one of the people on the show said, well, and of course, you know, I don't, I don't think these people should be prosecuted. And, you know, criminal prosecution would probably not be appropriate or have any likelihood of success. But it made me think of, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, lawsuits against various white supremacist groups like uh, white Aryan resistance and um, in the various uh, chapters of the KKK and how successful that has been at just dismantling these terrorist groups. And it makes me wonder, why why don't we do something similar with these anti-abortion groups? We know that these people are inciting tax, are plant, they have networks, they have resources that they funnel to various different agents of theirs. And so I think that we should try to do what Southern Poverty Law Center has done with white supremacist groups and dismantle these groups one by one through civil litigation. Thanks. Hi, Jay. This is Aaron from Philly calling in about the most recent episode on reproductive rights and abortion. I think there's a pretty obvious common thread when you listen to what everybody who is on the anti-choice and anti-abortion side has to say, and it's that they don't see women as being fully human and fully active participants in their own lives. It comes through in the comments that we heard at the beginning on Chris Hayes, some of the comments from the Fox News commentators and the legislators, I suppose, that were quoted in the TYT segment. It's always something that is done to the woman. Abortion is not a procedure that they choose to have for themselves. It is violence done to them, or you know, we can't allow these attacks to be done to women. And it frequently seems to be men making these assertions, but not always. And it really is just the common thread that runs all the way through most of what we see on the you know, the right wing politically and religiously in this country right now is that women are not seen as active participants in their own lives. They're just passive participants at best, and maybe even participant is a a phrase too far, because it seems like women are just things that exist in the world that life happens to, life is done on them, but, you know, it's not like they get any choice in the matter. And it, you know, it also runs through the problems that we see with things like the one caller said about pay equity. You know, again, if women aren't fully engaged and fully realized human beings, then why would we need to pay them full uh, wages for the work that they do? And I really like the phrase clash of fundamentalisms that, uh, that the one host on TYT used, because I think that's really where we're at right now. We've got both a certain amount of Islamic fundamentalism that is going on in other countries has not showed up to anything like the extent that 
the right-wing fears in this country. And then we have a very real Christian fundamentalism. Again, this is not all Christians. Some of my best friends are Christian. I know you've heard that kind of thing before, but it's actually true. And these are folks who just, because of the ideology they've grown up with and choose to subscribe to, refuse to see half the human race as actual human beings. And that's what we need to change if we're going to get anywhere in this country. Thanks a lot, Jay. Stay awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. I just want to give a quick update on the fundraising campaign we have going on. Little reminder, we're trying to reach uh, just a total of a hundred new members. That's people who sign up and give like six or maybe ten bucks a month. Uh, certainly not trying to raise like a whole pile of money right now, just more like the promise of a sustaining amount of money for the following year. So huge thanks to people who have signed up recently. Either with recurring donations or just making a you know a lump sum donation. Eugene, Jacob, Jim, Lauren, Michael, Jeff, Dennis, Saul, and Jonathan have all chipped in recently, bringing our grand total up to uh, we need about thirty three signups remaining. So we about have like a week and a half or so to go before the holiday break. That's what I'm trying to uh, you know close this whole thing out. If you, like so many people, would love to donate, but you just cannot bring yourself to actually remember to do it, listener Jim wrote in with some advice. He writes, I was listening to you on my drive home a couple of weeks ago, and you were asking for support. You mentioned that you know that lots of people are driving when they hear you, and by the time they get home, the motivation to get on the computer and contribute somehow gets lost. I had an idea to get past this, which worked for me. I made a deal with myself that the next time I sit down in front of the computer to order something off of Amazon, I will remember I need to support you. And it worked. And that was Jim who became a member. So if uh, if you're still looking for ways to remind yourself when the time is right to uh, sign up for membership, uh, maybe that or something similar will work for you. And if you're just still looking for motivation to join, don't forget that there's bonus content for members, which usually includes stories and various random thoughts from me. Sometimes I expand on things that get said on the main show, and then other times I just tell stories, like there's this classic one in which I uh, discussed racism and feminism with my girlfriend's 93-year-old Georgia-born, lifelong Democratic voting grandmother which was fascinating. And so that was a couple of years ago when that happened. So now, of course, she's 95 years old, and we just got back from a little weekend trip to visit her. And uh, this year's story, I think, is even better than the last one. So I'm definitely going to be getting that out before the holiday break for the members. So only a week and a half to go left in the campaign. Uh, you know, I'm not worried. We all know how these things go. People like to rush in at the last minute to save the day. So I- I'm sure that as the days tick down, 
we will have a, a you know a final rush of people signing up. If you want to join the effort and get all of that members bonus content, including all of the archives of those segments, which I think are pretty evergreen, not to mention just feeling warm and fuzzy about yourself, simply sign up at the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who have already supported the show through the years by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Get even more from us by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained